in case you kind of get to the point where you want to like keep on singing, we're going to sing again some more. So just like hit pause on that for right now. And we'll just pick up where we left off and we'll do it with some pretty cool stuff in mind. Um, let me say this at the outset. Uh, if you are with us for the first time, we're super glad that you're here and hope that you will hope that we hope you feel like you met with the Lord today. And if you come back, that's awesome. Uh, but our goal is not to get you to come back. Our goal is to meet with Jesus today. And uh, one of the ways that uh, there's a couple ways we do that each week together is we sing and we pray and we study the scriptures and we respond to all that stuff that's stirring in us. And one of the ways that, that we respond, uh, it, it is through song. And so we will sing again. Um, we respond in prayer. And so when at the end of the teaching time, there's an opportunity to respond. And if, if you want to come and kneel at these steps at the end. Uh, these steps, there's nothing sacred about them necessarily, but sometimes it's just helpful to put some legs, literally some legs to what's going on. And so if coming down to pray is, would be a helpful response to you, you'll have that opportunity to do so. And if you don't want to come do that by yourself, then grab somebody. Then you don't have to know them. Just but Hey, you come with me and go down there. Um, we'll also have some of our ministers on the front row that would love to pray with you. Um, and we have, a, we have two communion lines. That will be available at the end as well. And uh, so if, if, if the body and blood of Christ is a help, like, like, like receiving that grace into your life, if that's a helpful thing for you and putting some steps in whatever God's stirring, that's available. You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, if you have said yes to Jesus and what he's doing uh, in your life, then um, you can come forward. And this is the kind where you take the bread and you dip it in the, in the juice and you take it yourself. And they're going to say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And that, they'll say that over and over and over. And it's a reminder, not only is this an individual thing, but there's, it's, a, it's an us thing. There's enough body and blood for everyone. And so if that is a helpful thing for you in response, that'll be an option in a, in a few minutes as well. Um, and we do that because we're all wired up differently. We're all, uh, our personalities, some people, some people need something tangible to do. Uh, some people just need to sit with the Lord and just process what's being stirred up. Some need to sing, some need to pray, some need to seek help. You know, there's all these different things. So we kind of want to have an, an, an atmosphere where, you know, this is a safe place to do whatever, whatever connects with you the best. And a lot of people do a mixture of all those things. And I say that because uh, I see all that on the front end. Uh, part of it is I feel like sometimes by the time I get to that point, you're kind of like you're like restless, you know. And uh, and I don't want to like cruise through that too much. But today's text is really um, it's going to hit everybody in the room very differently because of uh, of the topic. And so if you if you're looking at chapter ten in Mark, and we're starting in verse one, you see that the summary of this is. Uh, Teaching about divorce. And you're like, man, why did I pick this day? So if you're a guest with us, you need to know that we're going systematically through the book of Mark. And this is the next one, you know. Um, and that's the beauty of going through a book is that um, most guys who do what I do for a living would not pick that, you know. Um, but it's here and it's important. And everybody in this room has been impacted by divorce in, in some way. I don't think there's any of us who look at the, 
our like family systems that we all come from, and there isn't some sort of divorce impact in there somewhere. Uh, some of you, it has affected you directly, some of you indirectly, but uh, like with, with the age group that we are in, in this room, from the oldest to the youngest, divorce has been a part of our, all the culture that we have grown up in, and it is not a new thing. Uh, it is a very old thing. And so, so I want you to know that, uh, that this will be one of the sermons where I really need, I need you to let me get the whole thing out there before you kind of like... Um, jump to too many conclusions, okay? Um, and, but I, I have, I enjoyed studying this in a way that I didn't realize that I would. And so, let me, let me just read the first part at least. Starting in verse one. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and, be, uh, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. All right, stop right there. So we're going to, we see this pattern through a lot of Jesus' ministry where uh, he's, he's just like doing his thing. He's teaching. He's with his people. And the Pharisees have realized that this guy's a troublemaker. And they need to somehow trip him up so that they can arrest him and get him, uh, get him off the grid. And so they do this a lot. They'll come in and they'll be like, oh, we got the perfect question. Because he will, um, like, we, we can get him to go against what Moses said. Uh, so they come in and they do this to test him and they ask him this question and um, they reference uh, what's found in the book of Deuteronomy. So look at chapter, sorry, look at verse 4 again. And this comes from Deuteronomy 24. So when he says, what did Moses command you? They go to Deuteronomy 24 in their, in their minds because they had it all memorized and it said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. There's a verse in Deuteronomy that is exactly what it says. Um, and that's correct, but what Jesus knows is that Moses not only like wrote Deuteronomy, but he also wrote Genesis. So Jesus goes and quotes Moses because they that, that is their standard. He meets them he meets them in, in an area of logic where they can't you know they can't really argue against it. And he offers another quote of Moses that seems to contradict the one that they just just did. So Jesus um, quotes Genesis back to them in. Uh, six through eight, where let's look at that. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. So there's there's two Moses quotes here. One says you can divorce your wife. The the other says uh, basically you can't divorce your wife. 
And Jesus even says that in verse 9. Whatever God's joined together, let no man separate. And, and that just kind of ends it, you know? Like, there isn't a, we don't know what, what happened from there where they like, hmm, that's a good one, and they left. Uh, we don't, you know, you got us. We don't we really know. Um, but he seems to offer two contra- contrary things. Divorce is okay and divorce is not okay. And when we see that, it does seem that there is a contradiction there. But I think that based on what's going on here, we can really arrive at, at two big conclusions. So there's, there's two big points for today. So if you're a note taker, there's two of them. First one. First one is that God is opposed to divorce. That's the first one. God is opposed to divorce. So look at, look at 7, 8, and 9 again. He, th- there's a progression that he pulls from Genesis and a conclusion that, that he, um, he's like, because, because of this from Genesis, here's my conclusion. And I know I just read it, but I'll read it again. Look at 7. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. So this is a progression. The first thing you do is you leave your family. And so in, in our wedding ceremonies, you go to a wedding and the bride comes in and everyone's standing. And there's this moment of, of giveaway that happens. And in that moment, uh, this, this happens in real life. And so she is leaving her father and mother and he is leaving his father and mother. That's the beginning of that. So it's a progression. So he's, this is the progression of marriage. Leave your, leave your family and you form a new family through covenant making. You leave them, you hold fast to one another, and that is a covenant making uh, euphemism for everything that involves uh, marriage union. Okay, parents? And so uh, you leave your father and mother, you form a covenant with God and with one another, uh, and uh, it is a holistic covenant. It is emotional, and it is physical, and it is spiritual, and it's, it's all of that. Um, and then there's a union that, that, that happens between that. So uh, leave your family, form a new family through covenant making, and it brings about this supernatural unity between a husband and wife. And the conclusion, it, it, the way that he says it is, verse 9, what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. In other words... Um, it's God's idea, and it happens by his power, and so you didn't do that, nor can you undo that. It's not, it's not yours to undo. Leave your family, form a new family through covenant making, and in that bond and that union, God does something that you could not do on your own, and you cannot undo that. And what God has done, no man can undo. That is Jesus' progression. He is quoting Moses. He is endorsing it by quoting Moses. And Paul also quotes this later on in Ephesians. So Jesus is offering, offering clarity on this issue. With all those things in mind, God opposes divorce. Marriage is his idea. Something supernatural happens that can't be undone. And so divorce makes no sense. So we have to think of this from God's perspective, not from our perspective. And I know that probably sounds right in one way, but also kind of strange in another way. Like it sounds very like idealistic, you know. And like I said, let me get all the way through this before we uh, start ob- objecting too much. 
Because at first it sounds like God is sort of insisting on his own way with no recognition of like the, the stuff that goes on in life. And that will all come in just a second. But I think it's important before we get into some of those things to really think for a second, though. In addition to that progression, like why, why does God oppose divorce? Like, like what's, what's his rationale behind it? And you really have to go to Ephesians chapter 5 to figure that out. And in that chapter, in verse 32, you know, Paul has spent the previous few verses basically unpacking the same thing that Jesus just did. And he's, he's adding all this stuff to it. And in verse 32, he says this. He says that this mystery is profound, which he's talking about the leaving your father and mother, the holding fast to one another, and how that makes a, a oneness out of two. It's this mysterious, incredible thing that nobody really gets. But, I'm, but he's like, but I'm about to solve the mystery for you. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, being marriage, refers to Christ and the church. That that, that whole process is mirroring something. Mirror probably isn't the right word. It's it's a it's a shadow of something that's that's greater. It's it's supposed to be imitating something. It's imitating Christ and His church. It's it's imitating what He does for us. Even if you want to think of it in terms of He left uh, He left uh, the Father and the Spirit in heaven and came to the earth, and we leave our like the world that we like know and grow up in that's broken and busted, we leave that to come to faith in Christ. And so we're both leaving something and coming together in Christ. And there is some sort of beautiful union that happens when, when we put our faith in Christ. There's this amazing something that happens where he, the trunk of the tree, and us, the separated branch of the tree, get connected and his life begins to flow into us and the fibers connect and we become like this one beautiful tree we become this vineyard of all these branches that are going everywhere and bearing fruit and all connected ultimately to the same vine this this same miraculous union happens with us with faith in christ and so marriage is supposed to be a a, like an earthly relationship um like imitation of this bigger reality that every one of you who are married are supposed to be representing, displaying, showing people God's covenant faithfulness to us in the way that you are faithful to the covenant that you have with each other. You're, you're a parable that's alive. You're, uh, you're, see? Or I could go on and on and on about it. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And so Paul is saying this beautiful thing that happens in marriage is a picture to yourself and to everyone around you of Jesus' commitment to his bride. And so when you think about it like that, divorce makes no sense because he will never divorce his bride. Ever. On her best day, on her worst day, he's not fretting over, is this going to work out or not? He's not like, oh, I made the biggest mistake of my life. You know? 
He will never divorce his bride. So divorce is illogical. In fact, human divorce tells a false gospel. Therefore, he is opposed to divorce. So not only is is that like a, a position he holds, but the why behind it is so deep. And if we don't have a deep understanding of marriage and a a deep belief and embracing of what marriage is supposed to be, that this profound mystery that refers to Christ and the church, if that's not your perspective, then then of course, of course, this is going to be a difficult topic. But when we but when we see marriage through his lens, you know, like, okay, divorce tells a false gospel. And so he's opposed to it. So it makes sense why he's opposed to it. Now, look at verse 4. When Jesus asked them, what did Moses command you? They didn't go to that stuff. They didn't go back to creation. They didn't go back to Eden. Now that's where we should go. That's where our mind, our mind should always go back to the beginning. But they don't go to they don't go to to Eden. They go to the other side of the brokenness, and they quote Moses from Deuteronomy twenty four. So verse four says uh, Moses allowed a man to divorce, uh, allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So are these contradictory ideas or not? Look at verse five. This is the this is, Jesus offers clarity. He says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. In other words, divorce is something that God opposes, but he allows it in order to keep broken people from destroying each other any further. Look at the verse again. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Because of the brokenness that you carry, and how in that brokenness you will destroy each other sometimes, in order to keep that destruction from getting even worse, divorce is an allowance. So the first point, God is opposed to divorce. The second point is that God allows divorce. And you might be thinking, those, those don't fit together. But really, they actually do. In a, in a beautiful way that, to me, reflects the real heart of our God. These two appear to contradict, but, but they don't. They actually fit very well together. Because God can be... Um, he's the kind of God who will create this last resort this last resort act of protection for his children. God can be fundamentally opposed to something and at the same time be understanding about the situation. That's what's going on here. He's fundamentally opposed to divorce, but he understands and sees what is happening in the brokenness of human reality. And so he had Moses set up these parameters. 
he had Moses do this. And a lot of this was to protect women from men being terrible. And that's, I mean, that's still the case. We see it today, but back then it was even, it was even worse. And so here's God protecting women. He's also offering very specific exceptions like desertion of a spouse or uh, ongoing infidelity and dangerously abusive situations. Like those are all written into the scriptures. So here's this God who is fundamentally opposed to something yet loves his children enough to make an allowance for something so that they don't continue destroying each other. So that if your spouse abandons you or abuses you or cheats on you, um, God's like, look, I'm not, I'm not going to force you to stay in this situation. It ain't good for either of you or your kids or it ain't good for anybody. And so when brokenness runs its course like that, God is meeting us in the reality even though he's fundamentally opposed to it. And so they don't contradict, they actually fit together. And I was thinking about it in this, in this way, and this, this may not make any sense to you, but um, we're, we probably all have things that we are fundamentally, we, we feel a certain way about, but yet there are allowances that come up. So um, I'm going to say this, this is not a Living Hope Fellowship statement, position, nothing like that, not designed to influence anyone. This is just me talking as a, as a person. I am like fundamentally opposed to murder. I believe that the scriptures teach that God is the giver of life and he's the taker of life. And so whether it's abortion or the death penalty or war, um, I'm fundamentally opposed to us doing for God what is really his job as the giver and taker of life. Um, However, um, I don't have kids, but I have a niece named Amelia and she's five and she's awesome. And if I'm with her and someone steps, steps toward us with intent to harm her, um, I'll make an allowance in that situation because <laughs> if it's him or her, I can tell you which way that's going to go. Uh, so I can be fundamentally opposed to murder and yet there's an allowance. If it means I'm going to protect her, then it's on, you know. And I think in a similar way, that's how God is looking at things. As he's like, I've created this beautiful uh, like way to, to imitate God and his church. You're a copy of the original. You're a living parable. This, this uh, Jesus left heaven uh, and came here and we leave uh, the brokenness of the world and we come into his kingdom and together this union forms. And here's this shadow of this with all these husbands and wives everywhere entering into this covenant, reflecting this to the world. And he's going to guard that and protect that and stand for that because of what it represents. And when it stops representing that and his kids are being hurt by it, he's going to make an allowance because he understands that this is a busted and broken place. And so, God is opposed to divorce and God allows for divorce. So, let's keep going. There's a few more verses Um, Because the disciples had some follow-up questions, as you can imagine. Um, So look at verse 11 and and 12. In the house, when the disciples, uh, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And so they were probably doing what you and I would do is like, okay, I got a bunch of questions about what you just said. Uh, And they're firing things at him. And this is one of the quotes that we get. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And then Mark just jumps to like another text, you know, it's like just kind of leaves us hanging there. But since it's addressed, let's talk about remarriage for a second. Um, Remarriage is another thread of controversy uh, that's tied to divorce. And within the church, you may come across a lot of different opinions about things. And there's really two two major camps to interpret these verses um, about remarriage. Uh, One camp, like let's look again, look at verse 11 again. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And then he flips it around for the wife too. Let's just look at that one. Some would interpret this particular verse to mean that uh, he has allowed divorce, um, but he has not allowed remarriage after divorce. Um, Because that initial covenant is still in place. That even though legally you have left father and mother, hold fast to one another, the two have become one, you've gone through a divorce process, and now you're legally not married, uh, spiritually that covenant is still in place. And so some would look at this verse and say, therefore, whenever you're apart, you have to honor that spiritual covenant until one of you passes away. That's how some interpret it. Uh, The other camp looks at it and basically acknowledges that, like that first part, that the the covenant is still in place and um, that you separate and the covenant remains. But they would say that what you have to do is you have to acknowledge if you were to remarry, um, whenever, whenever you then hold fast to your new husband or wife, uh, that there, that is an act of adultery the, the first time. And then, uh, that is something that, uh, you would acknowledge and confess, acknowledge that Jesus has died for that. And then you would, uh, live in covenant faithfulness the rest of your marriage, you know, like, you, you acknowledge that first time is it, there is, it is an act of adultery against that first covenant. And you recognize that Jesus died for that and it, it is a forgiven thing. And then you move forward, you know. It doesn't mean that every time you have to do it. It's, it's most of the Bible people, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. It's real technical and I don't have time for that today. Uh, they would say it's that first one, it's not all the rest of them. So basically the two camps are you can divorce but not remarry or you can divorce and remarry. That's how people would interpret that. And so just to summarize very quickly before I land this plane, um, here's, here's the preferred order of how to handle marital difficulty. Here's the preferred order. First thing is you, you, do, you do the work. You do the work. You communicate and you confess and you repent and you pray and you study how Jesus loved the church and you imitate that with one another and you go to counseling if you need to. You, br- you bring in wise counsel in your community if you need to. You, like, but you do the work because you are a part of something that is bigger than yourself. So you do the work. And if, if that process uh, does not bear the fruit that it needs to, you go to the second, which would be to separate for a while like literally create some space between one another to continue working on stuff. So you separate with the, the, the goal is still reconciliation, restoration, but you just need to do that with some distance. Um, and if that doesn't work, then there's, a, then there's allowance for divorce. Um, 
specifically in terms of the scripture, specifically for desertion, infidelity, abuse, um, divorce. And then the issue of remarriage, what you really have to do is you have to do your, you have to do your homework and just ask the Lord uh, to show you which of those camps you need to land in. Um, I'm not going to tell you which camp I'm in. You can ask me afterwards if you want to, but that's, I feel like that, that puts us on a spectrum that maybe the church is not ready for and the elders and I have not talked about that. So, um, so do the work. Worst case scenario from there, you separate. Worst case scenario from there, you divorce. And then you have to figure out, is remarriage something biblically that's for me or not for me? So now we've worked through the passage. Can we just circle back to what, what the beauty of what Jesus said? Like they're, they're obsessed, like a lot of times like we are, about um, like the, the human impact of some things. The Pharisees are trying to trick him, so he basically dealt with them. And now the disciples are left with this, this teaching, and they have a lot of mechanical questions and logistical questions, and what about this and this and this and this and this and this, but may we not miss what is really going on here? Is Jesus is saying, because God is 100% faithful to his bride, we'll never leave you or forsake you. And has gone to prepare a place for you, so that where he is, you may also be forever. And not a single thing that you can do will undo that. As, as much infidelity as you commit against him, he will never divorce you. Even if you think you deserve it, he won't do it. He doesn't have the hardness of heart that we do. He's not broken like we are. He's the initiator of the covenant. He's the, the, represents the God part and the man part of the covenant. And they always sacrificed an animal and he was, the, he was what was sacrificed to make the covenant happen. Like it, he's, he's it, he has done it. And so we can make this passage about the mechanics of divorce or we can make this a passage about the phenomenal faithfulness of our God to his people. Of the most faithful husband you will ever see to a bride that sometimes has her issues, right? And all the things that we bring to the table that he could have walked away from us and he hasn't and he won't. He makes that commitment to us and seals it with his blood and keeps us with his spirit. And at some point, he's going to take us to that place that he has been preparing. At some point, we will get to be with him in fullness forever. At some point, we won't have all the issues that we have to deal with. But until then, he will be faithful to keep us So it would be a tragedy if we look at this as just a passage about divorce. It's really a passage about the beauty of our God and the brokenness of us and what he has done about it. And so as we respond a little bit, of course, there are some applications for all you married folks in the room. Of course, this needs to give you something to talk about 
hopefully you're always assessing your marriage, but I don't know that our response time today needs to be focused on marriage. I think our response time needs to be focused on this, this bigger union that we are a part of. This incredibly faithful God to his up and down people. To bring to mind all of the things that maybe you have done where he could have walked away from you if he wanted to. All the times where he could have and he didn't. So what God has joined together, let no man separate. God has joined us with Christ. We can't separate it. And I hope that that is a blessing to you. That no matter how human divorce has impacted your life, to know that God is greater, higher. To know that he cares about how hard life can be. And he loves you the same on the day when you did all the stuff you wanted to and on the day when you rebelled, it's the same. And so as we respond to that, singing will make sense and praying will make sense and communion will make sense and all those things I talked about will make sense in light of this incredibly faithful God to his people. Let me pray for us as we enter into that time of response. God, I am grateful. Um, I'm grateful that on a day when the Pharisees came at you to try to, to, try to bring um, difficulty your way, that you flipped it on them and you turned it into an opportunity to point to something greater. And we all, we need that. I'm thankful that on all the, in all the ways that you could have filed for divorce, that you never did it. Not one, not, not even, you never even thought about it. It doesn't make sense to you because of how devoted you are and because of what that covenant looks like. That when you make a covenant and you seal it with your own blood, it is a pretty serious thing to you. And, and so God, I pray as we, as we sing and uh, receive communion and pray together and whatever, whatever we need to process why you brought us here this morning, I pray that we would just be obedient and would be blessed by knowing how committed you are and what that says about you. Um, so may you be the focus of our response and not ourselves. Um, may we do so with grateful hearts. We love you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand together. As I said, our communion uh, table stations or whatever you want to call them are open. The steps, you can come and pray. Um, So folks would pray with us on the front row if you desire that. But just spend some time with the Lord. We're not in a hurry. Um, If this is a blessing to you, then just respond in the ways that he's stirring inside of you.